Well, good morning. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and it's my privilege to lead us in the study of God's Word. Uh, We're going to be continuing in our sermon series called E-Transfer. We've been in this series since September, and we began by looking at the five E words that we try to live out as a church. We looked at evangelize, exalt, engage, equip, and empower, And, and that was the first half of our sermon series. And then we did a bit of a turning point, and a few weeks ago, we started to look at spiritual gifts in the life of the church. Uh, A few weeks ago, we had a kind of an overview message where we talked about what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? How how are are they to function in the church? What do they look like? What are how do we kind of orient ourselves around them? And in the past couple of weeks, we've looked at some of the gifts in more detail. Uh, We've looked at the service gifts. We've looked at leadership gifts. And this morning, what our what our hope is to do is to look at two gifts in particular for the majority of our time together, and those are going to be the gifts of speaking in tongues and the gifts of interpretation of tongues. Now, probably right away when I say that, everyone has a bit of a reaction to that. Uh, Some of you maybe are here and and you're wondering, okay, I've never heard of the gift of tongues or interpretation of tongues. I'm going to learn something new today. Uh, Others of you are here and when I say that, you get really excited. You say, yes, this is is good. We're going to talk about this. This is going to be really fun. And probably there's some of us here today as well that when I mention the gift of tongues and interpretation, you maybe get a little bit nervous. You're maybe thinking, okay, where are we going with this? What's, what's about to happen here? And, and maybe you've had some experiences, maybe in, in another church or a different place, where you've experienced some things that confused you in regards to the gift of tongues. Uh, maybe you've been taught that the gift of tongues doesn't exist anymore in the church. And so maybe when I say we're going to talk about the gift of tongues, you come with some nervousness and apprehension. And I just want to acknowledge we all come to this topic from different places with different experiences, different traditions, different beliefs, different backgrounds. But I want to say this, the Bible is crystal clear on one thing. All spiritual gifts, the gifts of tongues included, is meant to be something that builds the church up and unites the church, not something that tears us apart. And so your outline says this right off the bat, the spiritual gifts are meant to unite us, not divide us. You see, if we allow the gift of tongues or any other gift for that matter to be something that divides us as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're actually completely missing the point of what the spiritual gifts are supposed to do. And so what our hope is today is we want to turn to the Word of God and see what the Word of God has to teach us, see how the Word of God will confront our experiences, our our beliefs, our assumptions, and, and pray that the Word of God will give us unity this morning as we discuss these things. Now, to do this, we're going to be going to a couple different places in Scripture to kind of get a broad picture of the gift of tongues. We'll be starting in the book of Acts in chapter 2, which is the first place we see the gift of tongues being used in Scripture. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me there to page 909 in the Bible in front of you. After looking at a few examples in the book of Acts, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and and chapter 14, uh, which are just about 50 pages beyond that. But we'll start in the book of Acts And before we jump in, let me just pray for us as we begin this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of your word, that it can teach us, that it instructs us, that it leads us in the way we need to go. And Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, who rose again to new life, and who ascended to your right hand, and who gave the Holy Spirit and gave gifts to the church. And so, Father, I pray that you teach us through your word this morning. I pray that you would be clearly teaching us in in the way we need to go, Father, and that you would bring unity to us as brothers and sisters as we dig into your text this morning. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 2, just to set the context a little bit, Jesus has just been crucified, he's risen from the dead, he's appeared to his disciples, and he's told them, you're going to go to Jerusalem and you're going to wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and once the Holy Spirit's poured out on you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And so all the believers at this point, still a really small group, the church, the whole church is about 120 people. And they're all gathered together, devoting themselves to prayer. They're gathered together in Jerusalem. And then we read this in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, So once again, just picture this. A group of uh, about 120 believers gathered together. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they all start to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enables them. And in this context, we're about to learn that these other tongues that they're speaking in are actually other languages. And we see this in chapter one, or sorry, chapter two, uh, in verse five and following. It says this Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem uh, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. A couple things we notice right away reading this text. First of all, we notice there's a whole bunch of people in Jerusalem from all over the world. And the question is, why would that be the case? Why would there be so many people in Jerusalem from all over the world, from all these diverse locations we just talked about? I think there's probably at least two reasons. Uh, First of all, when, when we think of Pentecost, for most Christians, we think of the events that we just read in the first four verses. That when we kind of think of Pentecost, we say that's when the Holy Spirit came. Which is true, but we need to recognize that Pentecost was already a festival that the Jewish people celebrated year after year. And it was actually one of three festivals that everyone of the Jewish nation, everyone who belonged to the Jewish people, they were called to come to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival together in the city of Jerusalem. And so I think that's one of the reasons you see so many people here from these different locations. Uh, But not only that, Jerusalem was the capital city. It was the the city where David was king all those years. It was a city where the people longed for the Messiah to return. And so what happened oftentimes is that Jewish people who had been scattered all over the world, oftentimes when they came to the end of their life, when they came to their last days, they would try to make it so that they could spend out the rest of their life living in Jerusalem. So you often had it where people would kind of migrate to Jerusalem in their later days. And so you'd have people from all over the world living in the city of Jerusalem, able to make up a crowd that looks like this. And it says, as this crowd came together, when they heard the multitude, they each heard them in their own language. Now, this is interesting. Some people have wondered, well, maybe, you know, maybe this is a gift of hearing. You know, in other words, maybe the disciples, they were just speaking in their, their language, but then everyone could kind of hear and understand as if it was their own language. 
A few things I think that don't necessarily work with that interpretation. Uh, The first is this. The first thing is that the text clearly says that it's the disciples who have the Holy Spirit poured out on, uh, not the crowds. And it says explicitly that they were speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, but, But another thing to keep in mind is this group of people, being from the Jewish nation, all coming to celebrate the same festivals, they actually probably already had a language that they could share in common. Uh, Peter's about to address the crowd and he's going to use a language that they probably already had in common. And so what we see here is the disciples are speaking in these languages that they've never learned before. And what they're doing is they're praising and worshiping God. Uh, We see this in verse 11. The crowd say, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. In other words, this is the language of praise. This is the language of prayer and worship. They're praising and worshiping God in these languages that they've never heard before. And you can imagine the surprise of the crowds as these Galileans and and often uneducated Galileans, some of them are fishermen, they're praising and worshiping God in all kinds of foreign languages that they've never or never would have been able to learn on their own. Uh, There's no way they could learn the languages from all these remote parts of the world. And this is what's happening at Pentecost as the Holy Spirit's being poured out and people start speaking in tongues. So putting this all together, your outline says this, the gift of tongues is an ability given to a believer by the Holy Spirit to worship, praise, or pray in a language that the speaker has never learned. One author defines it this way. He says it's to speak, worship, or pray in a language unknown to the speaker. And this is what we see happening here in Acts chapter 2. And the, the amazing thing is some people recognize right away there's something something important going on here. Something monumental is happening here. Some people recognize this is, you know, there, there's something amazing happening here. Other people, though, they're confused by this. And, and they say, well, this is just crazy. It seems like the, these people must be drunk because this is just crazy what's going on here. And again, you can imagine if you're listening to this group all in different languages at the same time, praising God, worshiping God in languages that you've never understood, it would just sound like a bunch of crazy gibberish to you probably. And so some people say, well, this is just, the the disciples must be drunk. This must be, they're just babbling. What's going on here? And so Peter stands up in the midst of them and he sets the record straight. In Acts 2, verse 16 to 18, Peter stands up and speaks probably now in Aramaic, which would have been a common language to everyone. And he says these words. He says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. In other words, what Peter is saying is that, no, this is not drunkenness. This is not, what's happening here is God is fulfilling this prophecy he gave through the prophet Joel years and years, hundreds of years beforehand. Peter's saying what you're seeing here is the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church like God always said it would be. We're seeing the Holy Spirit poured out in full measure on the church for the first time. And in this context, the gift of tongues, it's functioning as a sign and symbol, a tangible, immediately recognizable sign that this is in fact happening. Now I think what a great sign to use to demonstrate that the Holy Spirit's being poured out. Because I want you to think about this for a second. Imagine the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost and everybody at the same time received the gift of service. It would be interesting because what would that look like? 
Would you recognize that right away? Would, you know, people would all of a sudden feel compelled to serve, but there would be no way for people on the outside to say, oh yeah, something is happening here. So, because service is a gift that we recognize as we watch a person's life over a long period of time. It's not immediately recognizable. What would it be like if all of a sudden you know, the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost and everyone received the gift of teaching? Again, it's not necessarily a gift that you can verify in a large group of people all at the same time. Right? You could, if you wanted to, I guess, say, okay, everyone's going to take a turn teaching and then we're going to see, okay. But, but there's a sense in which the gift of tongues works so well because it's immediately recognizable by those people who are gathered around. In other words, it's something that as soon as the Holy Spirit is poured out, People notice and they recognize something incredible is happening here. It's immediately apparent that something is going on. And I think what's so amazing is God has orchestrated this. So there's actually going to be crowds of people around who are able to verify this gift. In other words, there's people that can right away say, no, these people aren't speaking gibberish. Uh, uh, These people are speaking my language and I live in this part of the world that they've never been to. And they're praising God. They're worshiping God. I can verify that this is happening. In the book of Acts, we see this happening with the gift of tongues, where the gift of tongues functions as a visible sign that the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And it's really interesting when you keep reading in the book of Acts, and we'll see another example of this in Acts chapter 10. Whenever people speak in tongues in the book of Acts, it's always when the Holy Spirit's being poured out on a large group of believers for the first time. We see this in Pentecost with the church. We also see this in Acts chapter 10 when the gospel is received by a large group of Gentiles for the first time. Uh, This is when Peter goes to Cornelius' house and he shares the gospel with him. And it's a really amazing account of how these two people come together. Uh, Cornelius receives a vision from God. Peter receives a vision from God. Those two visions kind of lead them to each other. And so Peter finds himself in the house of Cornelius who's a Gentile. Uh, He has nothing to do with the Jewish people or the Jewish way of life or the Jewish faith. Uh, He he would know nothing about the Jewish scriptures or Jesus, the Messiah. He's a complete outsider to to all of this. And Peter starts sharing the gospel with him and with those who are in his household. And as he's sharing the gospel, something amazing happens. We read about this in Acts 10, verse 44 to 47. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So again, as the, as the Gentiles hear the gospel, as they believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit is poured out on them for the first time. And Peter and those who are with him, they recognize that immediately because they hear them speaking in tongues and extolling God. In other words, it's a, it's a way for Peter and his companions to know, okay, this is happening again. The Holy Spirit's being poured out on these Gentile believers as they believe in the gospel. And so Peter says, let's, let's baptize them because obviously they are part of God's people. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And it's really neat. We see something similar in Acts chapter 19. There's a group of, of, again, people who believe in Jesus and they say, well, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? They said, no, we don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. And then they receive the Holy Spirit for the first time and they, they speak in tongues. And so the nice thing is Acts paints a really consistent picture for us. Oftentimes when a group of people receives the Holy Spirit for the first time, they begin to speak in tongues. 
Now, if Acts was the only place in the scripture that talked about the gift of tongues, we would probably make some assumptions about it. Right? We would probably assume, just based on what we read, we might assume, well, every time someone experiences the Holy Spirit for the first time, that means they're going to speak in tongues. Uh, we'd probably assume that, you know, based on what we read, most of the time when people speak in tongues, it's going to be all together at the same time. It's all, you know, just going to be kind of a free-for-all, and everyone's going to be doing it. And, and the truth is, we don't only have the book of Acts, we also have the book of 1 Corinthians, where Paul instructs the church about the gift of tongues. And we're going to see there's a lot of similarities, but there's also some differences in some of the things that Paul says compared to the book of Acts. And so what we need to do, if we're going to understand how the gift of tongues functions, is we need to be able to put together what we see in the book of Acts with what Paul teaches in the book of Corinthians. And so what we want to do now is turn over to 1 Corinthians. We'll be looking at chapters, uh, pretty much chapter 14, but also into 12 and 13 a little bit, so you can turn there. It's on page 960 if you're using the Bible in front of you. And, and what we want to do is see how do these fit together? Uh, first of all, I should say there is a whole great deal of agreement between Acts and, and between Corinthians. So just to kind of get, get this clear, in both of these places, again, tongues is the ability given by the Holy Spirit to praise God, to worship God, to pray to God in a language that the speaker has not learned. In other words, in a language that they, that they don't know. And one of the interesting things in 1 Corinthians 14 is Paul says, the person speaking, they won't even actually often know what they're actually saying. Uh, they'll know they're praising God, they'll know they're worshiping God, but they actually won't know the full content of what's going on. Uh, we see this in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14. Paul writes, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Uh, so we see him saying, you know, it's, it's the same thing we saw in Acts. It's worshiping God, praising God in a language that the speaker doesn't know. Uh, Paul also adds another detail in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Uh, Paul writes, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. And so what this tells us is in the book of Acts, when we saw people speaking in tongues, it was explained that they were speaking in other human languages that were recognized by the people around them. Here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it seems as though Paul is expanding this to include not only other human languages, but even what we call angelic languages, or some people like to use the phrase heavenly languages. Uh, languages that, are, you know, that have a meaning, but that ne not necessarily uh, languages that human beings would, would learn on their own. Paul seems to include this. But again, there's this basic agreement that tongues are empowerment by the Holy Spirit to praise, pray, or worship God in these other languages. Uh, but we also see some differences in how Paul's going to talk about the gift of tongues compared to what we see in the book of Acts. Now, it's important that we recognize these are differences, they're not contradictions. Right? A contradiction is when one person says one thing, Another person says another thing, and you can't fit them together, and you have to choose either we're going to go with this person or with this person, because they, you just can't fit them together. A difference is when one person says one thing, someone else says something different, and actually you can fit them together, you just need to work to understand how they do fit together. And I think this is exactly what's happening here in 1 Corinthians. I'll give you one example. Your outline says this. One of the things that Paul teaches is that the gift of tongues is not given to everyone. And we see this in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Paul takes a whole bunch of time to say, the church is meant to function like a body. We're many members, but one body. We all have different roles to play, but we all play out those roles in unity towards a common goal. 
And he says things to the church like everyone's going to receive a gift from the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be jealous of other people's gifts because, you know, all the gifts are, are valid. You don't have to be proud of your own gifts because we all need each other. And he says, use whatever gift you've been given to serve the body of Christ to help carry on the ministry that Christ has entrusted to us. And he goes on at the end of the chapter to be pretty explicit that there's no gift that everybody is going to receive. He says this in verses 29 to 30. He asks the questions, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer to these questions is meant to be no. Uh, we, we're not all apostles. We're not all prophets. We're not all teachers. Uh, but, but for what our purposes are today, Paul says, we don't all speak in tongues. We don't all interpret. Now, this is probably where we want to push back a little bit, right? Because we just read Acts chapter 2, and Acts chapter 2 verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts chapter 10 verse 44, The gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And so what's going on here? How do we reconcile the fact that in the book of Acts, it seems like everyone's doing this and it's, it's happening amongst everyone. And then Paul's telling us on the other hand, no, this is not a gift that everyone's going to receive. And I think again, context is so important. You see, in the book of Acts, we have a context where the Holy Spirit's being poured out on the church for the very first time. And the gift of tongues in this context is functioning as this immediately recognizable sign that this is happening that God's spirit is being poured out on the church, that God's spirit is being poured out on the Gentiles. It's this really, these monumental moments in the life of the church. But when we look at the context that Paul is speaking to, he says things like in church, or he says things like when you come together. And I think what Paul's doing, he's addressing the regular meeting together in life of the church. And he's saying in terms of the regular meeting together in life of the church, the gift of tongues is gonna function like all the other gifts. It's going to be a gift that is given to some people, but not to everyone. It's going to be a gift that's one of the ways we see the Spirit working in someone's life, but not the only way we see the Spirit working in people's lives. Some people, sometimes we've, we've taught in the, in the church in, in general that, you know, if you don't have the gift of tongues, you know, maybe you don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, or maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you. At times it's been taught that if you don't have the gift of tongues, well, maybe you're not a believer because that's the initial sign of belief And Paul explicitly tells us, no, not everyone has the gift of tongues. And I think sometimes we can get into trouble when we try to teach people and force people to believe that if they don't have the gift of tongues, they're they're not really a believer. A number of years ago now, a friend of mine from Bible camp in the summer, he was uh, worshiping at a church and and he was in this context and there was people speaking in tongues around him and he didn't really have much experience with that. He didn't really know too much about it, but uh, some of the people around him asked, hey, would you like us to pray for you to receive the gift of tongues? And my friend was kind of hesitant, but he said, you know, sure, like, let's, let's, you can pray for that. That'd be awesome. And so a couple of people gather around him, they lay hands on him and they start praying that he would receive the gift of tongues. And they pray for him, and they're finished praying, and they ask him, okay, did, do you feel anything different? Has anything happened? Do you, are you able to speak in tongues? And he kind of just like, I don't know, I'm, I feel kind of the same as before, I'm not sure. And they say, it's okay, we're going to pray again. And so they pray again for him, and this time a few more people gather around, and the same thing, do you feel anything? He says, no, I don't. 
And so they say, don't worry about it. We're going to get some elders. We're going to get some pastors. And they gather around him. At this point, there's a large crowd around him. He's just feeling really uncomfortable. He's sweating. He's nervous. And, and at this point, they, they finish praying for him. And they say, do you feel anything? Can you speak in tongues? He says, I was so nervous. I just started speaking gibberish. So they leave me alone. <laughs> and it's, it's funny. We can laugh about it. But think about what that does to someone's faith if they're in those situations. Now, in my friend's case, his response was to say, I just made it up. No one could tell the difference. You know, he, his, his conclusion was, this must be just a sham. You know, this must be something that everyone's faking it. And, and, and his, his reaction was to kind of reject the whole process. Other people in those situations, though, what they do is they, they turn inside and they say, if I can't speak in tongues and everyone's supposed to, I must not be a Christian. I must not have the Holy Spirit. Other people might be in situations like that and say, this is just so strange. I, I'm confused. I don't know what to do. I'm not sure if, if I want to hang out with these Christians anymore. See, when we teach people that every believer needs to have the gift of tongues as an expression of the Holy Spirit, what we're doing is we're ignoring what the Apostle Paul clearly teaches, and we're also damaging people's faith. Now, is it wrong to pray that someone receives the gift of tongues? Absolutely not. And I know other people who have been in situations that were fairly similar to what I just described. And when people prayed that they would receive the gift of tongues, they received the gift of tongues. And sometimes to their own great surprise. So I was talking to one person. He says he was in a worship service, same kind of idea. The pastor said, we're going to have some people praying that, you know, if you want to receive tongues. And my friend was just kind of thinking, okay, like this is a different person. Okay, you know, you can pray, but it's not going to happen. I don't, you know, and all of a sudden he receives the gift of tongues and he's just shocked by this, surprised by it, all right? So it's not wrong to pray for people to receive the gift of tongues, but we need to recognize that God is the one who gives the gifts. He decides to say either yes or he decides to say no. And we need to be okay with the fact that God may give this gift to some of us. He may not give this gift to some of us. It's not a badge of spirituality. It doesn't make you a better Christian if you have this gift. It doesn't make you a worse Christian if you don't. It's one of the ways that we see the Spirit at work in people's lives in the church. Just like we see the Spirit at work through other spiritual gifts. Just like we see the Spirit at work through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit enabling us to walk in newness of life as God called us to. And so as we think about this, and as we reflect on the fact that Paul says not everyone's going to have this gift it leads us to see something else about the way this gift functions in the church. Your outline says this. In the church, the gift of tongues should be used one at a time with someone to interpret. And we see this clearly in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 27 to 28. Paul says this. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three in each in turn. And let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Now again, here we might push back because this seems to be the exact opposite of what we described in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. Paul's saying one at a time, only with interpretation. And in the book of Acts, we have everybody at the same time, no mention of interpretation. And so we're saying, what's going, like, how can there be such a difference? And again, the, the context is what makes it different. Paul's saying, you know, at these moments in the life of the church at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit's being poured out and the, whole, and the gift of tongues is a sign that this is happening, that the Holy Spirit is here, it makes sense for the gift of tongues to be used in this way. But Paul's saying in the regular meeting together in life of the church, it doesn't actually make sense for the gift of tongues to be functioning in this way. 
Because one of the things we just recognize is Paul tells us not everyone is going to have the gift of tongues. So imagine what happens if, if you're in a church and they say, okay, now we're all going to start to speak in tongues. What does that do? Well, a couple things happen, right? So you have a group of people who they, they are able to speak in tongues and so they begin to speak in tongues. And for them, it's, a, it's an awesome experience as the Holy Spirit empowers them to worship God, to praise God, to pray to God and languages they've never learned before. And as individuals, they're being built up by that experience and encouraged in that experience. But you would also have in that church a group of people who don't have the gift of tongues. And the problem would be not only would they not be able to participate in that, they also would not receive a benefit from the other people participating in it. In other words, there would be nothing that would be encouraging about seeing these other people do something because they actually can't understand and and figure out what's going on without someone to interpret. See, the gift of tongues is kind of unique in this way. A lot of the, oh, well, I say all the spiritual gifts are meant to build up the body of Christ. They're meant to be something that equip us and, and build us up as believers. The gift of tongues is unique in the fact that when it comes to the meeting together and assembly of the church, there's a sense in which it's not as effective as some of the other gifts if there's no interpretation attached to it. Uh, because again, the person who's standing on the outside doesn't get a benefit to what's going on. Uh, Paul explains it. In verses 16 and 17, he says this, I give thanks, uh, if you give thanks with your spirit, uh, that is speaking in tongues, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. A few years ago, Christopher Ewan came to Willingham Church and I had the privilege of kind of helping him get from place to place where he was teaching or preaching in different contexts. And so I'd you know, be in the green room and, and bring him to the sanctuary. And after he was speaking to different groups, one of the places that he spoke was to the Mandarin language group, uh, which was meeting uh, after the third service on the Sunday. And it was great. We got there, you know, showed him around, introduced him to some people, and we had a meal together as a group. And then he began to teach. And one of the things they realized is that his Mandarin was actually good enough that he could teach in Mandarin without need for a translator most of the time. And so I found myself in this room listening to someone speaking in Mandarin for 30 minutes. And I, I was just kind of sitting there not really getting anything out of it. And I was assuming, like, I'm assuming he's just, you know, doing a great job. I'm assuming he's really just unpacking scripture and teaching really well. But for me personally, I didn't get any benefit from it because I had no idea what was being said. At one point, actually, everyone in the room started laughing at something he said, and I don't know why, but I just started laughing too because it seemed like what we were doing. Uh, For all I know, he could have been making fun of me, but I was laughing because... And this is one of the reasons we have translations available for the services. It doesn't matter how profound something is is that's being said. If you can't understand it, you're not going to be built up by it. If you don't understand what the person's saying, it doesn't matter how, prof- and they might be praising God so profoundly, they might be worshiping God with such beautiful language. But if you can't understand it, you can't say amen. You can't say, yeah, I agree with that. You can't be built up and encouraged by that. And so Paul says in the church, tongues can have a function as long as it has interpretation, but other not, otherwise it's not going to be very helpful for us when we're gathered together. Now, when, we, when I talk about interpretation, it's, it's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Uh, the gift of interpretation is the ability to listen to what someone is saying in, when they're speaking in tongues and interpret that for the rest of the church to understand and to hear. Now, I think this could probably happen in a couple different ways. 
Uh, back to our Acts chapter 2 analogy, or, or story, we see in Acts chapter 2, the disciples are praising and worshiping God, and there are people right in the crowd that understand in their own native language what's being said. In that case, if they wanted to, they could turn to, their, to the rest of the group and say, this person, they're speaking in my language, I understand, let me tell you what they're saying. But I think what we also can be open to is the idea that God can also give someone the ability to supernaturally understand a language they've never heard before. And so someone may be speaking in tongues, and whether a human language, whether an angelic language, and some people will be given the ability to interpret or translate what's being said for the benefit of those who are here. And Paul says, if you have someone to speak in tongues, make sure there's someone to interpret. And if there's no one to interpret, let them be silent in the church. And it's really neat to see some places in the world where this is happening, where people are trying to live this out. I was talking to another friend of mine who was in an overseas context. He was taking a Bible class. And someone in the class put up their hand and said, I believe I have a word that I need to share with the group, uh, and I want to speak it in tongues. And so the leader of the group said, okay, here's what we're going to do. He says, we're going to let you speak. We'll let you speak for a few moments in tongues. We'll ask if anyone can interpret. If someone can interpret, awesome. We'll we'll continue going that way. Uh, But if there's no one to interpret, we're going to ask you to sit down and we're going to keep uh, keep moving with what we were doing beforehand. And so the person stands up. They they begin speaking in tongues. The leader says, okay, thank you. Uh, Is anyone able to interpret what was just said? And there's just silence. And people are looking around. And there was no one to interpret, so the leader said, okay, uh, thank you for sharing that, but we're actually going to move on, and we're not going to hear any more from you on that. And, and I just tell that story because I think it's something that so, sounds so refreshing, right? To be able to say, yeah, let's just do what Scripture tells us to do and, and just kind of follow the steps that we're actually given in God's Word. And, and I don't want to make it sound like there's never going to be people in to interpret. Sometimes people will speak in tongues, someone will interpret, and it will be a great benefit to the church as they hear and as they're able to agree with and understand what the person is saying. Uh, to agree with the thanksgiving that's being given to God, to, to agree with the word of praise, to agree with the word of exhortation, whatever that may be. But Paul says, if you have the gift of tongues and you can have someone interpreting, it could be a great benefit to the church. But he says, if you don't have interpretation, it's actually going to have a very limited benefit when the group of of believers gathers together. He puts it in perspective in, in verses 18 and 19. He says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul would rather speak five words with his mind than 10,000 with a tongue. Now, when he says speaking with his mind, he's he's just talking about speaking words that would be understood by everyone. Uh, This is where we see things like the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, the gift of prophecy. Paul's saying, I'd rather speak five words that everyone could understand than 10,000 words in a tongue that, that a very few people could understand or maybe no one could understand. And so from this, we might, we might come to the conclusion, well, it looks like Paul is not a huge fan of the gift of tongues then. Right? We might come to the conclusion, it looks like Paul doesn't see this gift as very valuable or very useful or, or very worth pursuing. Well, actually, remember what Paul just said in verse 18. Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And that's an interesting statement because Paul's speaking to a church where the gift of tongues seems to be being practiced quite a bit in maybe some chaotic ways at time. And Paul's saying, I actually speak in tongues more than all of you. 
Now, it's interesting because it shows us Paul's not someone who's standing on the outside who just doesn't get it. He's not someone who's like, I'm not even sure this is legitimate or this is a real thing. No, Paul says, I actually speak in tongues more than all of you. And it raises a question for us. If Paul speaks in tongues more than all of them, and Paul's not a fan of speaking in tongues and the gathering together unless there's someone to interpret, the question would be, well, where is Paul doing all this speaking in tongues? I think something he says in verse 28 helps us. Paul says that if there's no one to interpret for someone speaking in tongues, that person should remain silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. I think when Paul talks about speaking to himself and to God, I think it it sounds to me like the language of someone's personal prayer life. I imagine for Paul, when when he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you, I imagine the context for that would probably be Paul's personal life of prayer. Because when you think about what the gift of tongues is, it makes sense. It's, the, it's a gift given to believers to praise God, worship God, pray to God in languages that they've never learned before. It's not a gift that necessarily has great value in building up the body when we're all assembled, but it does have great value of building up the individual believer who's doing it. And so I think what greater place to exercise a gift like this than in moments of prayer before a heavenly father as we seek to pray to him and worship him. One of my favorite authors, a guy named Craig Keener, he's a Bible scholar, a Bible teacher. Uh, But before he became a Bible teacher and a Bible scholar, he became a Christian. And before he was a Christian, he was an atheist who had nothing to do with Christianity. He had no idea what it was about, didn't care for it. It was just completely opposed to it. And God did an amazing work in his life where someone shared the gospel with him. And, and even though he argued back and forth and, and, and opposed them, eventually the Holy Spirit worked in his life and he surrendered his life to Jesus. And he just became a full-fledged follower of Jesus Christ and has been for the time remaining. But the really interesting thing was when he became a Christian at, at first, he had no knowledge of the Bible, no knowledge of scripture. He just knew that he loved God And that he wanted to serve him, he wanted to worship him, he was in love with what Jesus had done for him. And he describes the first time he experienced the gift of tongues, even before reading about it in scripture. He says this, In a moment I was so overwhelmed with the awesome majesty and presence of God that I understood that only he could provide me with adequate words with which to praise him. And because I intuitively understood that God knows all languages, it somehow did not surprise me when the Spirit gave me another language in which to praise Him. See, often when we worship God, often when we're praising God, we recognize that the words that we say are not enough to describe how awesome He is. We, we probably all had this experience, you know, even when we sing together on Sunday mornings, we recognize that at the end of the day, even the very best words we can sing to God and to describe who He is, they're always going to fall short of describing the, the fullness of who He is in terms of His glory and majesty. There's times when we're praying through something and maybe you're praying through a situation right now in your life and oftentimes you feel like you just don't even know what to pray. The situation's so complex, the situation's so big that you don't know how to pray for it as you ought to. I think what an amazing gift that the Holy Spirit gives to some to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to pray to God, to worship God, empowered by God's Spirit in languages that they've never even learned before. Or the Holy Spirit is, in a sense, praying through you as you speak in tongues. And so, again, I think the, the person's personal prayer life would be an amazing place to see a gift like this used in the life of the church. Well, what about other contexts? What about 
smaller prayer gatherings where the people that are there have an understanding of the gift of tongues. Maybe they all have the ability to speak in tongues or they, they won't be confused or, or disunified by the gift of tongues being used. Again, I think that would be an awesome place to see the gift of tongues used. Right? In a place where there's, there's going to be explanation, a place where people are going to feel free to participate or not participate, where people aren't going to feel ostracized for not having the gift. It would be awesome to see the gift of tongues used in those circumstances. Well, what about when we worship together as a church during the time when we sing together? What about speaking in tongues in that, in that situation? Well, I think, again, you have to ask yourself the question, is it going to bring unity to the church or is it going to divide us? Is it going to be a distraction to those around me or is it not going to be a distraction? Is it going to draw attention to God or is it going to draw attention to me? And I think the reality is that for a lot of us, when we're worshiping together, oftentimes as we worship, we, we felt led to pray to God. Right? Sometimes we're singing a song and the words just speak to us. And we just, in that moment, we just cry out in prayer to God just right where we are. And I don't think there would be anything wrong with crying out in prayer, even if that includes speaking in tongues in those moments. Again, making sure we're not going to be a, a distraction to the people around us, making sure we're not going to be doing it in a way that draws attention to ourselves. I think God would have us use the gift of tongues in whatever context it could be used to build up the believer without ostracizing, without tearing down those who aren't able to use the gift in the same way. And whatever way it's going to build up the church. So where do we go from here? How do we respond to a message like this? I think there's probably a sense in which we all came in with different understandings and experiences. And we're probably all going to leave in slightly different places as well. But I just want to say a couple things. Uh, if right now we have some people I know in this room who are really wrestling. As I've been speaking, you've been kind of flipping through your Bible or writing things down and trying to get a sense of, is this actually what the Bible teaches about the gift of tongues? And like I said before, maybe you've heard different messages, maybe you've heard different things, and you're in this process now where you want to discern and you want to find out, is this what the Bible teaches? I want to be faithful to Scripture. And if that's where you are, I just want to encourage you, keep wrestling with these things. Keep digging into God's Word. Talk to people who you trust, who know their Bibles well, who love Jesus and want to serve Him. And keep going on this journey in a way that brings unity to us as a body, in a way that keeps pushing us towards a deeper and deeper understanding of scripture. If you're here today and you've already received the gift of tongues and it's something that you've been able to exercise in different capacities, I just want to encourage you in that. I just want to say God has given you a good gift to use for the glory of his name. And so I continue to use that in, in the context where it's going to give him praise and honor and glory and build up the church. And maybe for the rest of us who have not yet received the gift of tongues or haven't received the gift of tongues, I want to encourage you, maybe this is something that you've never even considered being a possibility in your life. For, for my own journey, I, I have never received the gift of tongues. There was a long time, though, there I didn't necessarily know if I believed it was a gift that was still kind of active. And then once I did believe it was you know, still a gift, there was a long time before I even thought about maybe this is a gift that I would ask for that God would give to me. And maybe today you're here and you're realizing, okay, I think, I, I believe that this is a gift that God gives to people, but I've never thought about this being a gift that I might receive. Maybe this is the week that you ask God in, in your own prayer life, you ask God, God, would you give me this gift if it's something that you have for me? Now again, this is not the only gift, this is not the special gift, this is not the gift above all gifts, but it is a gift that God gives to his church to build us up and to glorify his name. 
I was really uh, amazed to hear a story that happened at Willingdon years and years ago. This is probably decades ago now when Pastor Carlin was the lead pastor here. And one of the times when Carlin was preaching, he asked everyone to get on their hands and knees and then pray for the gift of tongues. Now, we're not going to do that this morning, just in case you're nervous about that. But I do want to encourage you. uh, There is a long tradition at Willingdon of us being open to all the gifts that God would have for us. And so this week, if that's something that you want to wrestle with and say, God, if if this is a gift you have for me, I want to use it to praise your name and I want to use it to glorify you in whatever way I can. I want to leave us with another quote from Craig Keener. He says this, Tongues, as every other gift, functions best when Christ, rather than the gift, summons our attention. You see, our ultimate focus is on God who gives the gifts, not on the gifts themselves. So your outline says this, last of all, we should pray expectantly and then worship however God empowers us. Uh, We're all called to glorify his holy name. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a good God. And Father, we thank you that you give good gifts to your children when we ask for them. And so we just pray that you would just be at work in our lives this week. Father, I pray for us wherever we are at in this topic, Father, whether we're still searching, whether we're experiencing this, or whether we're wondering if this is something you would call us into. Father, I pray that if this is something you want to give to people, even in this room right now, that you would give that gift. I pray that this church would be a place where this gift could be used with unity, in a way that builds up and doesn't tear down, in a way that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.